We all want to be somebody, right? To matter? To make a difference in the world? If that's you, then buckle up. You are about to intersect with the change makers, the trailblazers, the unsung heroes that are making a difference day in and day out. You are about to step into something extraordinary, something that will reverberate far beyond this place. This is your chance to make a difference, to matter, to be somebody. Are you ready? A wave of extraordinary generosity is about to be unleashed down our streets and around the globe. Want to be a part of it? Good, because it takes a lot of people to change the world. And we're just crazy enough to think we can, but not without you. And you, and you too. Actually, over 100,000 of us, united under one rallying cry, to give, to serve, and to love. So, welcome to the team. Welcome to the movement. Welcome to Be Rich. Good morning. My name is Eric. I get to be that pastor here. I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are here. Whether it's your first time, it's been the first time in a while, or you come every single week. We're glad to see you. We are in the series called Be Rich, and we are partnering with dozens of other churches across the country who are taking the month of November to recognize that we are rich, that we have been blessed in so many ways. And so not how do we get rich, but how do we be rich in, in love? How do we be rich and, and give? How do we be rich and serve? And so two weeks ago, we actually didn't even meet here, and instead we went out and served our community. Last week, we talked about how do we, how do we give? What does that mean to be more and more generous? And today, we're going to look at what does it mean to be generous with our love? Well, I grew up here in Maple Grove, and uh, I had some very, very close friends as a child. There's something about those childhood friends that, you know, you just, you never lose touch. And you can, you know, be years where you don't see each other, but then you pick right back up. One of my, my good buddies, Dan Brown, he's like my, my brother. I grew up without any brothers, just sisters, and Dan was really my brother. We, we played baseball together, uh, you know, little G.I. Joe army figures, uh, Legos, camping trips, all this stuff. Got into way too much trouble as teenagers, uh, but it, he was one of my, my best friends. Well, yesterday... Actually, I turned 40, uh, and I'm struggling with that a little bit, but I'm here, and uh, thank you. And so my, my best friend, Dan Brown, my brother, texts me, happy birthday. And this is the guy, man, we've, we've done so much life together, and uh, here's his text to me, uh, happy birthday, old man. I'll catch up to you next summer. <laughs> Dan's a very serious man. Uh, I, I love, though, that this is such a picture of friendship, right? Like, guys don't show a lot of emotion, uh, but truly, I know this is Dan's way of saying he loves me. Uh, and I was like, bro, seriously, we got to catch up before next summer. We're just so busy. But what is it about those friendships we, we form as kids that, that those continue on? But I don't know if you found it. As adults, it is so much harder to make friends, right? Like, you know, on the playground, you can be like, hey, you want to be my friend? It's like, yeah. But if you do that now and you walk up to some stranger as an adult, it's like, hey, do you want to be my friend? It's like, who are you? No, I'm going to go back to my phone looking down, right? It's so hard to make those connections as adults. And maybe you moved to Minnesota from somewhere else. Maybe you lived here and you moved away like our story and you came back and you found, man, everyone already has community and friendships here. Why is it so hard to make those kind of connections and friendships as adults? Well, I believe that God created us. 
God created us in his image. And God is a community unto himself. He is three in one. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we are made in the image of God, we are made to have connection, not just with God, but with others. But why is it that if we were made for connection, we are made for friendship and community, and that's what it means to be a human, and still we struggle with that. We, we struggle to feel connected. How is it possible that we are created for connection, and yet it still remains so hard for us? What do we do when we feel disconnected? What do we do when it feels like no one understands us, no one gets me? How do we move into the kind of humanity that we were created to be in? Well, the good news is the Bible addresses that. And I think the Bible teaches us something that maybe, perhaps, we weren't even taught. That one of God's greatest attributes it's something that you may not even find in any systematic theology textbook. But I think it's something that's so critical to understand that if we get this, this could change how we experience connection with both God and humanity. That's what we're going to dive into today. Would you join me in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive into God's word today. God, I thank you that you are here. God, I thank you that you created us for connection You've created us in your image. So Lord, this morning as we continue to explore how to be rich in generosity and service and love, God, I pray that we would first connect with you and then God, that we would connect with each other. Lord, let these words be your words, not mine. Let everyone who walked in these doors receive from you what they need to hear. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here. You gave us everything, and that you love us so very much. In your name we pray, amen. I love the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he wrote what's called the Gospel. It's a biography, sort of. It's a story of Jesus. John was probably the last disciple who was still alive, and he wrote his Gospel long after many of the other accounts of Jesus had been written down. And John, when he's trying to describe the story of Jesus Here's, here's what he opens up with in John chapter 1, verse 14. And he says, And the Word, it's, it's Jesus, it's, it's God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Eugene P Peterson, a pastor uh, for many, many years on the East Coast, a Hebrew and Greek scholar, he, he did a translation of the Bible called The Message. It's kind of a paraphrase in our common language. And here's how he translates this. I love this. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that visual image that our God clothed himself in flesh and blood. And then he, he moved into our neighborhood. Next week, we're kicking off our Christmas series. And that's what we're going to be talking about. What does it mean that God moved into our neighborhood? See, a character trait of us, of God, that I don't think many of us were taught, but I think it could change everything, is this idea that God is empathetic. Well, Eric, what does, what does that mean that God is empathetic? Well, empathy is the unique ability to step into someone's reality and to experience life from their space. 
Empathy is that unique ability to step into someone's reality and experience life from their space. Empathy is the ability to walk in someone else's shoes. Empathy is the ability even to step into their feet and see with their eyes and feel what's in their heart. See, I think one of our struggles is we feel like no one really gets me. I'm unique. No one understands what I'm feeling. No one understands what I'm thinking. And we feel like for sure God doesn't understand us, right? There's one of my favorite shows on Netflix. It's called Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. Has anyone else seen that show? It's a Jerry Seinfeld show. Yeah, it's a funny name. I love that. Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. And what it is is Jerry Seinfeld, who's way too rich and has too much time in his hands, and he thought, hey, I'm going to do a talk show, but I don't want to like, sit in one place, so I'm going to pick people up in these expensive cars, really nice cars, drive around about 10 minutes. I'm going to pick up different comedians, and then we're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about humor, and, uh, public speaking, all this stuff, and it's very fascinating to me. Well, he picks up Ricky Gervais in one of the episodes, and, and they're talking, they're going back and forth, and talking about humor, and they're even talking about what you can joke about and what you can't joke about, and how comedians are like, you know, we, we pretty much think anything is okay to have humor about, but that gets us in trouble a lot of times, because we'll joke about something, and they're like, whoa, it's way too soon about that. So they're actually talking about the Holocaust, which is, again, it's, it's something you don't really joke about, but Ricky Gervais says this joke that is so, makes you think so much. He says, he's telling Jerry, he says, a Holocaust survivor, he, he dies of old age finally, and he gets to heaven, and, and he meets God, and, he's, and, and so when he meets God, he, he tells God a Holocaust joke, and God says, whoa, that's not funny, and the Jewish man says, well, I guess you had to be there. Now, on first glance, it's like, ha, ha, that's, that's kind of funny, right? But you could see it as, as Jerry Seinfeld even laughed, then it hit him. He's like, well, what is that? Like, Did you write that? He's like, no, I've, someone else heard it. He said, wow, there's so much depth and meaning to that. Because you're implying that God wasn't there. Guess you had to be there. God, why weren't you there? In our pain and brokenness, have you ever felt that way? God, I guess you weren't there. God, you don't understand what I'm going through. If empathy is the ability to step into someone else's reality, then the one that should have the hardest time understanding our reality is God, right? Because he doesn't live in our reality. He's all-powerful, all-knowing God. Maybe you felt that way. God, you just don't understand. You don't get what I'm going through. You know, the only way you could ever understand is if you gave up your divinity and you stepped into humanity, and you became a human. And maybe that's why God did it here at Christmas time. It's not about just a cute story of a baby in a manger. It's the idea that God moved into our neighborhood. That God, in his great empathy, stepped into our reality. That he stepped into our space so that he could see with our eyes, feel what we feel in our hearts, you could walk in our shoes. I read a, about a man who was in a concentration camp in Auschwitz. In, intense suffering. And there was a pastor there with him. And the pastor was teaching people in the concentration camp scriptures. So they had something to do with their mind and something to learn. And this man was angry and bitter at God. And, but finally he said, fine, fine, I'll, I'll learn one scripture. He said, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? 
And the pastor turns to him and says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. John, who wrote that God moved into our neighborhood, he shares this story. That Jesus wept because of the pain and the suffering of some of his closest friends. And a few chapters later, chapter 11, the story we find it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, first of all, that doesn't make any sense to me, John. It's like, what do you mean that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, but when he heard he was ill, Jesus stayed where he was for two more days before going to heal and, and pray for Lazarus? That doesn't make any sense. Well, let's jump to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus, where were you? You were late. You didn't show up and now Lazarus is dead. Have you ever felt like God is late? He didn't show up and now it's, it's over? Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same exact thing her sister said. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Why did Jesus weep? Did Jesus forget? He just told Martha, he's the resurrection and the life. That he has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knows that this is for the glory of God to show that he has power over sin and death. If Jesus knew what he's going to do in just a few moments, why did Jesus weep? Jesus wept for the pain of his friends. He saw the suffering of his friends and the pain that death caused. Jesus cared so very deeply for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Even though he knew in a few minutes he's going to return Lazarus to them, he felt their pain. 
He was empathetic to their loss. Jesus stepped into their space. He's moved into our neighborhood. See, when you genuinely care for someone, you hurt when they hurt. That when they hurt, you feel that pain. You hurt for them. And one of the greatest gifts we can give someone who is hurting is our presence, not Christmas presents, but our, our presence and sharing in their suffering. There's a Swedish proverb that says this, shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half sorrow. I love that, that shared joy is a double joy, and shared sorrow is, is half sorrow. Jesus took on their pain, remind us that no matter what hurts or pains we have in life, Jesus is right there with us. Jesus is not afraid to meet us in our despair and darkness. He's the first one to meet us in our valleys. And Jesus wept because his friends wept. If you look around the world today, I think narcissism is a major problem. I think social media and the internet has really exploded that. Now anyone can have a voice, and we broadcast, and we take these selfies, and, and we say what we're thinking and feeling, and if someone disagrees with us, then we mute them on Twitter, or we block them on Instagram. The Mayo Clinic defines narcissistic personality disorder this way. One of several types of personality disorders is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. The more narcissistic you are, the less empathy you have for other people. One of the best ways of evaluating if you're a narcissist is how much empathy do you have for others? The term originated from Greek mythology from Narcissus. Uh, he fell in love with his, himself and no one was good enough. And finally, he fell in love with his own image in a pool of water and stayed there for all time until he became a flower. Greek mythology is a little weird. <laughs> Maybe you are drowning in an image you see of yourself, good or bad. And Jesus wants you to, to free you from that today. So I used to think narcissists, maybe didn't, they didn't feel deeply, but I know now that narcissists feel things very deeply. They expect others to understand their feelings. It's not that they don't feel deeply, it's that you don't feel deeply for others. You feel deeply for yourself. It's very important that people understand you, that they, they see your feelings as facts. May I ask, when's the last time you wept for someone else? Not for your own pain. Not for your own confusion. When's the last time you were like Jesus and you wept for someone else? See how he loved him. The power of empathy is love. Jesus loved those who were in pain. He stepped into their pain. He carried their pain. It's always been interesting to me, and as a little kid, I didn't understand it, that the week, the time leading up to Jesus dying on the cross was known as the passion of Christ, the passion of Jesus. Why is that last week, that time leading up to him dying on the cross, known as the passion of Christ? Well, if you want to know what God is passionate about, look at the cross, See, God so hated the destructive power of sin that he's willing to die to destroy its power in us. God loves humanity so much that he's willing to die so that we could live. 
To understand what is important to someone, you look at their passions. And the problem is, if our passion is all about us, we'll spend all our lives walking among humans but never truly connecting with them. See, empathy is the ability to see beyond ourselves and step into the pain and the brokenness of others. But how often do we think of God as empathetic? See, I think the problem is we project our actions and our motives on God. See, I think some people, I even hear them talk about God as being bipolar. Like, God in the Old Testament was angry and vengeful, and then, you know, he spent 400 years, went off to therapy, and he came back as Jesus, and now everything's hunky-dory, right? That is not true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's what King David, a man who was close to the heart of God, said about God in the Old Testament. In Psalm 116, verse 5, he says, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Our God is full of compassion. The Jewish people were called out to be different. God said, you are a chosen nation to be a light to others. And so often they failed at that, and so God would discipline them. And the Jewish people would say, God, why are you so hard on us? Look at all these pagan people doing horrible things. Go judge them. Why are, why are you keep coming after us and, and keep disciplining us? Because you discipline someone that you love. God cared enough to step into their story, to shepherd, to lead them. See, the problem is I think a lot of times we want an intimate connection with God, but we don't want him to be intimately involved in our lives and to discipline and correct us and lead us to the place where he wants to bring us. But if God can truly step into our space and he's the one who understands our journey towards healing and what you need, God knows what to give us. And we need to trust that God is full of compassion. There's a difference between compassion and empathy. Empathy is being able to step into someone else's reality. But compassion is passion in action. Compassion is passion in action. You can't say that you're compassionate simply because you feel something. Sympathy might exist without action, but compassion always has action. The Apostle Paul writes to the early church, about how to live and how to love. And he writes this in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. He says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Now let's just stop there for a second. Because in today's culture, we might get in trouble to say something like this. Like, hey, all you lazy people, stop being lazy and get to work. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Then he says, encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. I think Paul here is addressing the church and saying, you know what? There are three categories of people here in your church. Number one, there's some lazy people. And some lazy people just need to get to work. You gotta put the time in. You gotta stop just waiting on God to do everything and just step into some action. Paul's saying some people need a kick in the pants. And, and that's just who they are. But Second, there are some people that are just, they're timid. They're a little scared. And they don't need a kick in the pants. They need the church, they need us to be their courage. To say, hey, this step of faith you're going to take, 
I know it's going to take everything you've got, but we are here to be your courage. We're going to be here to hope with you. And it's very different than those who are lazy. Then he says, take tender care of those who are weak. Have you ever been a place in your life where you're not lazy, you're not timid, but you're just so beat down that you can't move? You got your breath knocked out of you and you just need someone to care. Maybe you're a new mom. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're going through some pain. You're not lazy. You're not timid. You're just weak. And you just need the church to come alongside you and to take tender care of you. But how do we know the difference if we don't have empathy? How can we know if we don't step into their space and say, all right, you need a kick in the pants. This is how I'm going to lead you. Or, you know, you're just a little timid, you're, but here, I'm going to be your courage. Or, I, I get it. You're, you're just feeling so weak. You're feeling so beat down. Let us be your love. Let us step into your space. See, we can't treat all people the same. We have to understand their story, what they're going through, and to be like Jesus is to get out of ourselves and to see others, to see what they're going through. Paul writes this in Colossians 3, verse 12 through 14. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Above all, clothe yourselves in love. My wife, Kristen, actually spoke on this passage to a group of junior high girls about 10 years ago. She had them literally, you know, put on like a jacket. Clothe yourselves in love. Above all, clothe yourselves in love. How do we do that? We grow in empathy. We grow in compassion, which is passion in action. We grow in our ability to see what others are going through, to step into their story, to move into their neighborhood. To grow in that wisdom to see, hey, who's lazy? Who's timid? Who's weak? Bob Goff is a great author. He wrote some great books called Love Wins. Uh, and he wrote a book called Everybody Always. And he writes this. He says, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said, it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good things you hope to do someday. Nope. He said we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. It's tempting to think there's more to it, but there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is something we become. In fact, I can't think of a single time he gathered his friends around him and said, guys, I just want you to agree with me. He wants us to do what he said, and he said he wants us to love everybody always. Paul, the apostle, sums it up in Galatians 5, 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then in 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've been talking about this fall. We're called to uncommon love. 
I love sci-fi. I've been really enjoying the Mandalorian uh, TV show on Disney+. Plus. I think space travel would be phenomenal. Like, we're getting so close with SpaceX and the rockets and Elon Musk. He's basically Batman. He's got a new, weird, really weird-looking pickup truck. He's also got these rockets. I also thought, like, what would you do if you had time travel? Like, where would you go? Would you go into the future? Would you go into the past? And we are blessed that we can fly places, we can drive. But really, the most valuable kind of travel, I think, is soul travel. And that is the empathetic ability to step into someone else's space. And because we are created in the image of God, we have that ability to get our eyes off ourselves and to see what others are going through. The skill we need most to be able to care for other human beings, to step into their space, that's what Jesus did. One of the reasons I love this story is that Jesus knew what both Martha and Mary needed. Martha comes and says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus gives her the truth. I'm the resurrection life. Then Mary comes and says the exact same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus weeps with her. Because Jesus knows sometimes we need a kick in the pants and truth spoken to us. Sometimes we just need someone to sit and weep with us. There's nothing about you that God does not know, but also there's nothing about you that God has not experienced. Jesus says, I know you are weary and burdened. Jesus invites you to come to him and you'll find rest for your weary souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, it says, Come to me, all you, are, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. I'm going to invite Samuel to come on up. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think for me personally, it's so easy to understand God as all-powerful and all-knowing as king. But honestly, I lose sight that Jesus stepped into our humanity to experience everything that we have experienced. I want you to truly grasp that, that whatever you are going through, Jesus knows it. He truly moved into our neighborhood. He didn't just float through life with a beauty pageant sash on and a halo around his head. He got hungry. He got sick. He got tired. He was betrayed by friends. He wept. He felt things deeply. Over my life, I've been a part of a lot of different streams of Christianity. Some churches that I've been a part of over my last 40 years, they overemphasized the spiritual gifts. Some, they overemphasized speaking in tongues. Some, their emphasis was all about the sacraments. So we take communion every single week and, and, and baptism is this huge thing. You can't go to heaven without it. Some, it was about going through the word. Some, it was about relevancy and, and let's be so cool that we can reach the lost. A number of years ago, as I was praying, figuring out, God, 
you've called me to be a pastor and what kind of church do you want me to lead and, and to start? I have all this experience in, in, in many different kinds of churches. I pray, Jesus, let me feel what you feel. And honestly, 10 years ago, I see someone who never cried. And now, daily, I find the tears well up. Because I see the hurt and pain and brokenness. And I believe Jesus showed me just a glimpse of what he feels for us. As much as you might see me tear up, Jesus tears up more. He's not unsympathetic to your pain. He does not remain distanced, but he's empathetic in his ability to step into your story. He doesn't say stay distant, but he moves into our neighborhood. If you want to be like God, start caring about others. The heartbeat of Mosaic is that we are here to love the hurting and the broken to step into everyone's story and to say, Jesus knows, Jesus loves, and Jesus invites you to find rest for your weary soul. If you want to be like God, start stepping into other people's stories. Make that a higher priority than making sure everyone understands you or what you're feeling. You can live your life all about yourself or you can make your life about others and find the beauty and the human connection. You can make empathy your superpower. I'm going to write the band to come up, the rest of the band. But Jesus is here. Whatever you're going through, he's carried it. All your pain, he's experienced it. All your wounds, he bears those wounds on his body. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all our suffering and made it his passion, his pathos. He has given his life for you, and now he's waiting for you to choose his love, his freedom, his forgiveness. Some of you maybe feel like you can't be healed. Some of you are hiding behind your perfectionism. Some of you feel crushed by your burdens. But today we can simply just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my pain. I give you my everything. He'll meet you where you are. Normally, at the close of our sermon, we move a time of offering. But today, we're actually going to have a response song. We're going to have some people down front available for prayer, but you can just sit, state your, your seat if you'd like. As the band plays this song, <coughs> excuse me, I want you to know that Jesus is just inviting you to come. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep last night. Maybe it's been a long time since you've gotten a full night's of rest, and maybe you just feel weary. Maybe there's just that heaviness in your soul. Maybe you just feel like no one understands me. But Jesus says, I have stepped into your space. I do feel what you're going through. Come to me and you will find rest. I'm going to pray and the band's going to lead us through the song. And this is just a chance, again, to meet with Jesus, to have someone pray for you. I'm going to invite Casey and Ann to come down to the front. And then we'll close our service with the offering. But during this time, just take this next five minutes as a gift 
to just sit, to soak in Jesus' love, to know that he has stepped into your story. And he's just saying, come, come meet with him. Jesus, I thank you that you are here in this place. That you didn't stay distant, but you stepped into our story to feel what we feel, to see what we see, that you clothed yourself in flesh and blood. And you were so angry at the destructive power of sin that you went to the cross. You took a beating so that we could be healed emotionally, physically, spiritually. And then you gave your life to defeat power of sin and death. And then you rose victorious three days later. So God, I pray for each and every one in this room. We'd come to you. We would find rest. And that God, as you heal, as you restore, God, that today as we, as we leave, we'd be able to see others, to take our eyes off ourselves, to step into their space, to clothe ourselves with love, to put our passion into action by being like you. Jesus, we come to you right now. We give you our lives. We give you our pain. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's sing to him.